I want you to open your Bibles tonight to the Psalms, Psalm 71. I have chosen tonight to teach on something I have never taught on, nor have I ever heard anybody ever teach on it. I've heard a lot of sermons in my life. I don't even remember ever reading a complete article or a chapter of a book on this subject. Yet it's mentioned frequently and it's talked about a lot, but I've never heard anybody ever teach on growing old. Nobody ever wants to be old, and I'm not saying that anybody is, but I want to title the message, Tomorrow's Years. Tomorrow's Years, those are the days in front of us, the days that you will come to if the Lord tarries. If he doesn't return and catch his saints out of this world, I can assure you this, that everybody in this room will grow older. You don't have to be old, but you will age. You will in a few years, if you have your high school picture, you can walk in front of a mirror and look in the mirror and then look at your high school picture and gather up enough courage and say, I have changed. <laughs> and that's not bad, it's not wrong. At the beginning, when Adam sinned, the body began to die. And everybody who lives in this earthly house, it was made for this earth, down here, and along with everything else in the world, the body ages and reaches its end. As the Bible says, it is appointed to man once to die. And I think, personally, as a personal conviction of mine, I think that people in the church should be aware of at least a portion of what the Bible says about aging. It's not something you have to dread. You don't have to, like, if you're a man, reach 50 and have a crisis. Or if you're a woman, reach 40 and have a crisis. And I have knew a girl that I went to high school with who, when she was 40 years old, she got out of her marriage so she could run and play like she was when she was 20, only to find out that where she was trying to run, they recognized that she was 40 and not 20. And so <laughs> she came back to her marriage and re-upped. She re-enlisted back in her marriage. So anyway, it's just that aging is a difficult thing for a lot of people to cope with. They don't want to be old because they had so much fun when they were young or they see so many young people today having so much fun. And, you know, you like to do that or you've done it before and somewhere in your past and you don't do it much anymore. Or maybe now you're married, you have children, you wish you could still do all of that. And you know, you realize that your clothes don't fit you. The ones you wore in high school, you couldn't get in them if you jumped off the top of the bed. You just know that things change. And a lot of people don't cope well with that. They really don't. Now, our psalm, the one I've selected, there's many verses of Scripture in the Bible about aging and about how God relates to you as you age. I've chosen this one, verse 9 where the psalmist said, cast me not off in the time of old age. So he even admits and the Bible declares that old age is appointed to us or it comes to us that we will be in an aging situation even as I speak. We're all older now than we were yesterday and so forth. Aging has its problems. Sometimes the aging process, a lot of older people break down when they get old and they require a lot of extra attention and that puts a strain on whoever has to take care of them, the children, the family. 
sometimes it requires professional help and how you're going to afford that. And it's just like things come up as parents, for example, get older. They can't manage themselves well. You're not real sure they can take care of themselves. And you need to do something or you have to do something. Sometimes the kids in the family kind of fuss with each other about, well, whose turn is it to do this or that? And it creates a little strain, a little tension. We never had that problem until mom and dad or mom or dad, whichever one, got older. And those youngsters who have had in your life, and I've had to do a little while of it, and some of you have when your parents, before they died, they were in a difficult time, and you have to take care of them and do your best, and it's not easy to do. We're not trained how to take care of old people. That's not one of the lessons in life that we prepare for. It just comes, and you've got to deal with it. But as a Christian tonight, as a Christian, I want you to know that while the Bible shows us and describes for us certain conditions that go with what in the Bible people had when they were older, it doesn't have to be for us the way we read it. In other words, we're under a new covenant, like Hebrews 8 speaks of, a better covenant, better promises, and we can see what happened to a lot of old people in the Old Testament. That doesn't have to be the same thing that's going to happen to us. We are able, if you've got it, you're able to believe for the very best that God has even until your last days. And you don't have to be an invalid. You don't have to break down. You don't have to live your final days on this earth in agony and full of infirmity. You don't have to. Now, we see so much of that. We see it happen so much with older people that you almost come to accept that as a way of life because it's so common. But it doesn't have to be. It does not have to be. I don't know what all of you believe about it or what your position is with regard to what you can believe God for, but you don't have to break down when you're old. You do not have to be a strain on your children. You do not have to cause trouble in your family because of your aging process, your inability to get around, inability to take care of yourself, and so forth. Now, again, the psalmist says, Cast me not off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength faileth. Let me show you some promises in the Bible concerning old age. I want you to turn to Psalms 21. And while you're there, I want to quote another verse in Isaiah 46. This is what God said in Isaiah 46 and verse 4. And even to your old age, I am he, and even to whore hairs will I carry you. I have made you, and I will bear, even I will carry and will deliver you. Now, whore hairs, H-O-A-R, is gray. Like the hoary head the Bible speaks of is the aged person with gray hair. And the hair does turn gray with a lot of people, not everybody. But the hair does turn gray a lot of times because of the aging process. Some people sooner than others. I think my brother's hair started turning gray when he was 16. I'm serious. He had found a gray hair in his head when he was just a young man. I remember the time he was going to a training camp. He was baseball. He was going to Florida to a training camp and was going to deal with his contract. I think it was Cleveland then. And before he left Louisville to fly down to Florida, he wanted to dye the gray out of his hair so he is still black because he was only in his 20s. 
So he had his wife and my mother, they got him over the sink and bought this little kit and did all of that kind of stuff and you wait till it dries. And so when it dries and he had these black streaks on his face and they wouldn't come off. So they had to actually take a washcloth with Ajax and scrub those little streaks that came down his face. I'd rather take my chance with gray hair than I would uh, do something like that. But gray hairs with a lot of people is just older people. Used to call them blue hair today. <laughs> you know, old people's hair gets gray and then it, it turns blue or something. I've never had that happen. And I don't want that to happen. But God's promise, this is a promise, even to your old age, I am he, and even to your gray-haired days will I carry you. I have made, and I will bear, even I will carry and deliver you. You know what? If God is carrying me along, then wherever he's going, I'm going. Now, I may not be there yet, but it's not my concern about where he's taken me because he said, I made you, I will carry you, I will bear you along, even to your old age. So you've got something to look forward to even as you get older. A few things. Psalm 21 and verse 4. He asked of thee, and thou gavest it him, even length of days forever and ever. Now let me ask you a question. Who gives long life? It is something that God gives. It is in his hand. It is under his control. And he said he would give that. Psalms chapter 48 and verse 14. For this God is our God forever and ever. He will be your guide even unto death. Psalms 48, 14. God has promised that he will be your guide even unto death. Now, if he is guiding you, where are you going? You're going where he wants you. He not only will keep you and bury you, but he will guide you even until your life ends. In other words, all your life. You're not going to get off track or get off base if you stay with him. Psalm 91, 16, at the very last verse of the 91st Psalms, he said, with long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Now, the Bible doesn't say how long long is. I mean, it doesn't specify a number of years as long life. But it does say that with long life will I satisfy you. Now, I don't want to linger and overdo one verse of Scripture because then I'll miss out on the rest of what I want to come to. But satisfy doesn't mean you just get to struggle through 80 years of life or 90 but it means that in this life that God gives to his people who are willing, as we'll see in just a minute, to keep his word and walk in his covenant, he will satisfy you. He not only is going to guide you and carry you along, but he will do it in such a way that you will be satisfied. You will have to the fill all that he has promised, all the desires of your heart. He has done it for you. And you're not dissatisfied. You don't have to die moaning and groaning and screaming and kicking when you go. There'll be a smile on your face. God did for you what he said that he would do even to your death. 
He satisfies you, and he said he will satisfy you with long life. Are there any exceptions to that? Well, obviously there would be. Anything theologically that fulfills God's will that he has determined to be fulfilled, what he has foreordained to be done, is done with vessels that he has chosen specifically at the time that he wants something done. Like Stephen, a young man full of faith and power, remember in Acts 6? And how that for his testimony was stoned to death. Well, he didn't live a long life, some skeptic might say. To which we have to say in regard to that, God has promised long life. If there is an exception to it, he will inform the person with whom it is an exception. And everybody else can fight over it and argue about it. But if God made a man to live a certain length of time, he fulfilled the purpose for God putting him here on the earth. I guarantee you, Stephen's in a better place than people on this earth are. Because he did what he was called to do, full of faith and power, gave his testimony. That was why he was here, and he went up to heaven. So that is a good thing. But God has promised that he will take care of us. Now, you notice the conditions that God puts on all of these things. For example, in the 91st Psalm, he that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord that he, not the world's systems, not everything the world counts on, not everything the world relies on and leans on, but said, he is my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I will trust. Now that is the one supreme condition upon which the rest of Psalm 91 stands. If you are willing to relate to God, and to know him as he is willing to let you know him and live like you know him with his favor. He gives you so many promises. Verse 13, because he has set his love upon me, I will, I will, I will, I will. And then in verse 16, he says, with long life, I will satisfy him and I will show him my saving ways. Boy, you get the whole package. You get to enjoy the Lord and his presence you get to live free from agony. You don't have to dread tomorrow. You don't have to dread sudden death. It's all about God taking care of you. No evil shall befall you. No plague, no incurable ailment comes nigh your dwelling. Concerning you, God says he will give his angels a charge. You take care of him. I don't even want him to dash his foot against a stone. That's what God promises. Now, when you get born along and carried along by God, this is what you get. You get God's favor, God's graciousness. And I don't think a lot of people know that. And I'm not sure they really believe that if you did show them that. But it works for those who not only know it, but those who choose to live like it's true. That means when the devil offers you all these substitutes in the world, you say no to them. You know, when you get older, like I said the other day, I've shredded all of my symptoms, stuff in the mail. One out of every four does this. One out of every 10 gets that. All of these, not only credit card and shred all the loan companies, but also shred all these medical hospitalization things that you get in the mail. I don't even want it. Why? It's simple. It's a simple reason why I don't want it. I don't need it. Why? Because... I will say of the Lord, he. Does your Bible say this in verse 2 of Psalm 91? Does it say that at all or am I just gumming it tonight? We're just gumming tonight, beating our gums. 
What does he say in verse 2? I will say of the Lord, what? He is my refuge. He's my fortress. That's your stronghold. He is my God in whom I will trust. Surely, surely he will deliver you from all the stuff that just makes people afraid, that people are just so fearful of. He will deliver you from it. Why? Because he is God. He is bearing you along in his arms. He's got you in the palm of his hand. If you believe it, now a lot of people, I'm not talking about good people who've never been taught, don't know any better, they didn't die this way, and they didn't experience these things, but they didn't know they could. You can't have faith in what you don't know. God tells you what the Bible says so you can have faith in it. If you believe it and if you listen. Listen at this concerning conditions. Would you turn over all the next book over to the Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 3? And he said in verse 1, my son, forget not my law. This is a condition. Now, if you want all of these blessings as you age, this is God telling us how. Verse 1, my son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. Now, notice two things. Don't forget his law. It means you've got to remember it, hide it in your heart, and then keep it. Hear it, keep it and do it. And verse 2, this is what you get. What's the first thing he mentions? Length of days. Now let me ask all of you something, if you're a practical thinker. If he has promised to do that, then why do I need life insurance? Why do I need it? If he has promised, if God Almighty if he is really willing to do what he said, then why do I need to live like he might not, and just in case he doesn't or changes his mind, I have this to fall back on. Now, that's the way I think. Many years ago, I thought like that. A lot of people did then. But today, there's this caution that is coming into too many people's lives, this caution about whether or not that's really the way he meant for us to understand his word. Maybe he didn't mean it that way. As the devil gets you thinking like that, you won't believe it. And out of fear and uncertainty, you'll fall back. Verse 2, for length of days and long life, well, there's another word in there, and peace they shall add to thee. What will be added to you if you forget not his law and you keep his commandments? He said he'll give you length of days and long life and peace. Hallelujah. Then when you sing this song, I've got peace like a river, you won't just move your lips. You'll sing it because, oh, yes, I do. Praise God, I've got peace like a river. I have no fears. He has delivered me from all my fears. And it'll be true. Boy, this is the theme of my life. The more you draw nigh to God, and you can't see him, and you can't hear his voice audibly, but he gives you his word. And drawing nigh to God is drawing nigh to what he has said in this word, that you might act like it's true. That you might live as though this is a divine, holy true established fact that cannot change. This has to be. And in that way, you relate to God. 
And in that way, you come to know God because it's the work of the Holy Spirit as you're doing this to cause your heart and your mind to become settled and peaceful with God. No matter how you feel, no matter what you hear, what the prognosticators are saying about tomorrow. There's this assurance that what you heard that you have determined to believe is true and that God will honor this. Praise the Lord. Now, people think you're nuts because what God has been saying doesn't change the way people act in the world. It doesn't change their fears. And if you act peaceful when they're all afraid, they wonder what tree you've been out of, what cage you've been locked up in or something. But he said, length of days and peace they shall add to thee. But look at verse 13. Because verse 13 and verse 16, he talks about wisdom. Length of days is in her right hand, and in her left hand is riches and honor. Surely that doesn't apply today. That's verse 16 I just read. Where does it come from? Verse 13, happy is the man that findeth wisdom, and the man that getteth understanding. Let me tell you what wisdom is, godly wisdom. Wisdom is the correct application of knowledge. It's the proper and correct application or putting to practice the knowledge that God gives. A wise man will do that, won't he? A wise man has got money and needs to build a house. He finds a site to build his house. It's going to take some work to dig through all this sand to find a rock. There's got to be a rock down there somewhere, so it's going to cost me a little extra. But this man digs down to the rock because he knows that that's the only stable foundation in a sandy soil is a rock. Another man comes along, he says, well, I went to engineering school, and as long as there's enough weight of the house settled down, pushing down on the sand, if it's heavy enough, the weather and all that will cause the house to sift in the sand until it settles, and you don't need to spend all that extra money digging down the rocks and all that kind of stuff. So both of them built houses just alike, same house, and one wasn't better than the other one, but the Bible says the one blew over when the storms came and the other one didn't. And the one that didn't was the one that was built on the rock. Jesus said the story is about two things. One, a wise man. There's a real wonderful picture here. A wise man is the one who correctly applies what God has taught him to his life. And the word applies has to do with faith. Jesus said, he that heareth my word and doeth it. He that hath my words and keepeth them. He that listens to what I have to say and makes a decision to do what I have to say, do what I said, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The man who hears what I say but doesn't do it, does things his own way. It seems pretty good. and You know, it's not exactly, but it's, it's good enough. He said he's a foolish man. And the wise man doesn't understand how this is going to work necessarily as far as relating to God. It may not be clear how God's going to do this, but God said he would. And faith sometimes is just to just reach out and you grab a hold of something and you hold on to it and God brings it to pass. And many times when he begins to make this thing work, he gives you understanding and you begin to go, oh. Like here, 40 years later in my Christian life, some things are coming into focus clearly and you're going, Oh, I see. So that's why they gave up. That's why they quit. That's why people have survived. I didn't see that. Okay, praise the Lord. 
But what a settling peace that brings into your heart when you begin to understand and see what God is saying. And you do when you make a determination to believe his word and to count on him and to trust him. You may be criticized for it, but it doesn't matter. Persecution is part of the Christian life. All that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And then in verse 16, as I just read, he said, Length of days is in her right hand. In her left hand, riches and honor. Wisdom. Do it God's way. Trust God. Let him have the say. Turn to Proverbs 4, verse 7. Wisdom is the principal thing. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. Notice. He said, exalt her, and she will promote you. Exalt what? Wisdom. The application of God's knowledge. Put a premium on it. I'm not going to do anything until he shows me how to do this. Put a premium on it. Exalt her, and she will promote thee. She shall bring thee to honor when thou dost embrace her. She shall give to thine head an ornament of grace, a crown of glory shall she deliver to thee. Hear, O my son, and receive my sayings, and the years of thy life shall be as many. Is that clear? You want to live a long life and not have to worry if you'll make it through tomorrow or the flu? Or whatever's going around that you're supposed to be afraid of? Give heed to this word. Talking about wisdom, look in chapter 9 and verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. For by me thy days shall be multiplied, and the years of thy life shall be increased. Now that's the aging process. That's just what you can look forward to. They can be increased. Look in chapter 10, the next chapter over, verse 27. The fear of the Lord prolongeth days. But isn't this true? The years of the wicked shall be shortened. Does it say that? There's another verse, Psalm 55. There are those who don't live out half their days. That a lot of people could do a whole lot better than they did in life. And all these tragedies that befall people. And some people are so used to tragedies and shortness of life, they just assume that it's, well, it's life throws curveballs every now and then, and sometimes there's not much you can do about it. Now, that ain't what the Bible says. You won't even find curveball in the Bible. But you will find a lot of verses in which God mentions that the way to a long life and favor and grace is to put a premium on relating to him, knowing him, and then demonstrate to him your desire to do these things. And he says he will cause things to happen in your life, no evil, nothing that would cut your life short, nothing that would interfere with long life will ever befall you. Why? Because he gives his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. Not everybody can say that. Not everybody can say God's angels are watching over me to keep me in all my ways. But they do for some people. And God doesn't just blindly go, you, 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 and you, get angel help. He clearly spells it out for us. There are several conditions if you'll go back to Psalms 34. 
several conditions are mentioned in Psalm 34 about long life. Look at verse 12. What man is he that desireth life? Well, I do. Do you? Jesus said, I'm come that you might have what? Life and have it meagerly. No, he said abundant. Not without his hardships. Now, I didn't say that. He just said, I'm coming to my head life. And have it more abundantly than most people do. Verse 12, what man is he that desireth life and loveth many days that he may see good? Well, I do. I do. Here's how that comes. Number one, keep thy tongue from evil. Whoa, we just died. Get the casket. No, listen to this. You want God's favor in keeping you and giving you a long life? The very first thing he mentions is one of the hardest things to do is to keep your tongue from evil. What does the Bible call evil? Because it calls a lot of things evil. But he says, while you see evil and you're aware of evil, don't let your tongue talk about it. There's something better than evil to talk about. And thy lips from speaking guile, deceit, hypocrisy, that would be two. Number three, depart from evil. Four, do good. Five, seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. His ears are open unto their cry. Now you read also the same thing in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. But there's just a few verses here we just looked at, the last seven or eight or nine verses about God's promise to give to us long life. That we can wake up today knowing we're not going to die today. You're not just going to fall dead. If you're one of those that are going to die early, I'm sure God will show you if you're living right. And it won't be a dreadful thing. Paul said about going to heaven, he said, I have a desire to depart and be with God. But he said, I also see my need. Now, he was an older man. I have a need to stay here. You need me to stay here and to help strengthen your life so you can walk the way God wants you to walk. But I have a desire to depart and to be with the Lord. In fact, when he said that, he said, I'm in a straight between two things here. I love you and I want you to grow and do well. I don't want to see you fall apart, just go so far and then quit. But I also have a desire. I've been in this walk a long time. He said, I have a longing for heaven. Because I know in whom I have believed and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I committed unto him against that day. And I know that he is faithful. And I want to see him. And I will. But he said, it's more important for you. It's more profitable for you if I stay here for a while. So learn all you can so we can get out of here, he probably thought. Amen. Let me show you a couple of the effects of aging, how the Bible describes the effect that growing older has. Now remember, this doesn't have to be what you look to or expect to happen, but this is what the Bible says happened to some older people in the Bible. I want you to look with a man called Barzillai, and I want you to turn to 2 Samuel chapter 19. Barzillai. 2 Samuel chapter 19 and verse 32. Now, David is about to leave. It's best to leave instead of staying there and fighting his own kin, his own family. So as he's heading for the Jordans, here's old Barzillai. Verse 31, the Gilead came down from Rogelim 
and went over Jordan with the king to conduct him over Jordan. Now, verse 32, Barzillai was a very aged man, aged or aged man. I think very aged means he was old. He wasn't a young man anymore. He had lived quite a while on this earth. And he says he had provided the king of sustenance while he lay at Mahanium, for he was a very great man. He was a fine and honorable, caring man. And so David the king said unto him, Barzillai, come over with us, and I will feed thee with me in Jerusalem. And Barzillai said to him, How long have I to live? And see, he knew he was an aging man. He knew as an 80-year-old man he wasn't 30 or 40 anymore. He knew that he had changed. He had slowed down quite a bit in his life. He knew the aging process had affected the way he functioned. Oh, he was probably able to walk around. He was doing good, better than a lot of people, 80. Verse 35, here's one man, and here's what the Bible says. Now, see, David had just asked him to go with him, and he said, look, he said, David, I'm 80 years old. I'm 80 years old. He said, can I discern between good and evil? I was much more attentive and alert in my younger years, but since I've gotten older, I'm not that acute when it comes to all this going on now, and, and I'm sure that would bother you. He said, can thy servant taste what I eat or what I drink? I would say his taste buds weren't as good as they once were. Would you say that? That maybe his desire for a, a really good meal and a blessed food that you could probably think of some dish they had, then it probably wouldn't affect him in his older age like it did when he was young. He said, I can't even taste it anymore. Or he said, can I hear the young men singing? Can I hear any more the voice of singing men and singing women? Why then should your servant be a burden to you? He said, David, I appreciate you asking me to go. I've been with you since you were a king, and I helped you and done what I can to honor you with what I've got. But he said, I'm 80 years old. And he said, I'm slower. My strength has failed. I, I can't even taste food right anymore, and I, I'm hard of hearing. I keep saying, huh, what, huh, what, huh, huh? He said, I would just be a burden to you. And David knew that he had to flee a lot, and he had to keep moving a lot and keep going, and he knew that that would be a little bit tough for a man that wasn't used to living that way in his older age. So he told him to go back and wait for him. It's a long story, and so on and so forth. So he was 80 years old, but it tells us there that at his age, he had lost part of his taste, couldn't hear as well as he used to, and he couldn't discern like he should. Listen at this verse, it's Ecclesiastes 12, 1, he says, Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. You know, when you're young, you don't think about being old. You don't even think about being older. When you're a teenager, 40 is ancient. When you're 60, 40 is you'd like to be there again. You know, you think like that. But his advice to you young folks is this. While you're young, keep God in your thoughts. Stay close to God because he's going to judge the world. If you're with the world, you get judged along with it. But if you draw nigh to God while you're young, he will develop you into the kind of person that when you get older, it won't bother you. It just won't bother you.
because you know that he's brought you this far. He's taught you some things, and, and he's going to keep you. The word evil, the evil days come. Now, you ought to hear what commentators say about evil days. They say, well, this is what happens when you grow old. You grow old, you get infirm, which means when you grow old, you just break down. That's it. And you can't walk, can't talk, can't hear, can't taste. They just put you in a little room somewhere and feed you once a day, and that's just the way you get old. But evil days here simply is referring to calamity and probably what comes with old age when that you would like to do more than you're doing. You'd like to get out and do that more, but certain restrictions. Your body does feel pain more than it used to. Jay and I were working on a driveway the other day, and, you know, it's not hard. It's just boring putting sealer on a driveway. It just takes a while. It isn't hard to do at all. Yet. And, of course, that night, you know, you go to bed and everything, and, oh, <laughs> you go to bed and you, why am I so stiff? I didn't do it much today. Well, that's one of the things that happens to a lot of people who age and aren't as busy as they once were, not as active as you once were. If you're like me, you're sitting in a chair more than you're out walking around and reading and studying. You get out and take off and start doing something. Your body will tell you it'll protest. <laughs> it will say, you know, that's enough of that. When you get up out of the chair and you have to count to 10 first, or you're driving somewhere on a road and you get out of the car and you go, one, two, three, four, five. <laughs> you can go. You have a better understanding of probably what they were talking about. You know, enjoy God while you're young because there's days are coming in which what you're doing now, you won't be able to do then. Now, you may not have a desire to do it then, but you'll find that it's more difficult to do when you're 60 to do what you did when you were 40. And so make sure while you're young, you learn a whole lot about the Lord so that when you grow old, you don't mind counting to five or six to get your body straight down. Because <sighs> sometimes it's a little signal the Spirit of God may signal to you, you need some exercise. Not so much so you can feel better, but you know, exercise makes you more alert. You'd be a better preacher. I had a guy tell me that once. He said, I don't exercise so I can jump up and down and run around the block and beat people. He said, I exercise because it helps me sleep better and it helps me feel better. And I think I'm better at preaching because I can hang in there longer. I think hanging there longer, I'm trying to get it about 10 minutes shorter. <laughs> but I don't know what he meant. Uncomfortable would be a word that would probably describe some people's attempt at doing things in their old age the next day. You're just not comfortable, but it's not wrong because you can still do it. You may not be able to do it every day, but you can still do it. I like to walk. I like to get out and climb up and down hills. It's just the next day, sometimes your body says, you would have been better if you hadn't gone that last little bit there because you're still in this high school thing that says, last hundred yards, you got to push it now. I was doing that one day hike and I had my backpack on us and I thought, what are you doing this for? Ain't nobody watching. You're married, you're not trying to impress a girl. You don't get a prize. You don't even need to push yourself. Slowed down and took my time. I don't mind aging. I just know that things change and there are some things you just gotta adjust to 
It doesn't take away from you spiritually. It doesn't affect your ability to read or pray or to answer questions or have good conversation. It's just that mostly in the physical realm, is there a real change in your life to where, whew, ugh. Aging doesn't have to be a time of evil in your life, but for some people it probably is. Or take David's case, 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 1. And it says this about King David. Now David was old and stricken in years. Now there are other translations entered into days. David was old and advanced in days. But here's what it said. David was old and advanced in years, and they covered him with clothes, but he got no heat. Now you got to like that. <laughs> he got no heat. Now they covered him with clothes, but he got no heat. You know how old he was? He was 70. That's as long as he lived. In fact, if you read about the kings in the Bible, very few of them live long. David died of an older age. He was 70 years old. Now, what, Moses was 120? Jacob was 130? Aaron was 119? Miriam was older than that? It's not like there's a certain number of years. 70 was young. But David was 70 years old. He had been a warrior his whole life. He had fought. He had had to run, lived in the wilderness, the desert. I think his body was pushed to the limit a lot. And when he grew old, he was like my dad was. When my dad got old, he was just shot. He just worn down. Wasn't much left. But in David's case, he got no heat. <laughs> now, I guess that means that his bodily condition was, maybe he was skinny, I don't know, maybe he was thin. It doesn't say, it just says he got no heat. They put clothes on him, they couldn't cover him up, he didn't have a fever, he wasn't sick, he just got no heat. <laughs> now, I'm going to be very careful of what we read here after this because they went around the countryside and they found a young virgin to lie with him and to transfer heat from her body to his body. And I think it's obvious why they didn't get a young man to lie with him. That wouldn't work. <laughs> but a young virgin, they found this young maiden, and she was willing to. Would you allow your daughter to? Those of you that have a grown daughter, would you allow your virgin daughter to get in bed with a 70-year-old man and hug him so to try to get him warm? Now, it wasn't sexual, it wasn't anything of that sort, because it says he never knew her. So he's talking about that type of thing. So it's, that's not what we're talking about. Here was a man who was the sweet psalmist of Israel. In his old age, he couldn't stay warm. So this maiden, this young lady of Abishai, she would lay with him and, and to try to keep him warm, and that's all she did. I've never heard of anybody that got old and couldn't get warm. I mean, I've never heard of that. But you've got to remember, in those days, they didn't have central heat and central air. They didn't have insulation like we have today. Those old castles and king's quarters were cold. They had a fireplace like some of the old houses here in Shelbyville, where we used to live. Every bedroom had a little fireplace because there was no central heat. And sometimes, if a cold winter, it was hard to stay warm. They put clothes on him. He just couldn't get warm. And he got no heat. That's what your Bible says. Not only that, but another sign of David's aging was back in 2 Samuel 21. This is interesting, in verse 15. 
Moreover, the Philistines had yet war again with Israel, and David went down and his servants with him and fought against the Philistines, and David's first time it happened, and David waxed faint. Now, David was a valiant warrior, but he didn't realize in his fighting ability that he wasn't the man he once was. Now, God never let this man lose the battles that he was in. But he got into this battle. Actually, he was fighting a giant. Look at verse 16. And Ishbibinob. That is a real name. Let's call him Luther. And Luther, which, which, which was of the sons of the giant, the weight of whose spear weighed 300 shekels of brass in weight, he being girded with a new sword, thought to have slain David. Now, David is fighting a giant. Another interesting story in the Bible, David picked up five smooth stones. He used one on one giant, and he's fighting this particular giant, but the Bible said he waxed faint. And the giant here was getting the better of him. He had a new sword, and he thought, well, I can kill him. And then it talks about this Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, helped him and smote the Philistine and killed him. Then the men of David swear unto him, saying, Thou shalt go no more out with us to battle, that thou quench not the light of Israel. You're more important to us in a place where you lead us than you are out here fighting along beside of us. It was the first time in his life he came to the realization that he couldn't fight like he used to, that he was not the man he once was. And his own men, his own men had to rescue him from somebody ordinarily he would have killed right away. And they came to him and said, David, Man, would you go back to the house and let us take care of this? Because you are the one central figure in this country that we know that God blesses and honors the whole nation, including us and our families, because of you. And we don't need you to die out here in battle. Let us do the fighting. You do the believing. And David went back. Now, he was getting an older. It wasn't long after this that he got no heat or whatever that problem was. But David obviously was getting older and his body changed. I guarantee you, if you're 60 years old here tonight, you're not as strong as you once were. I'll tell you another thing. If you're only 50, your mirror does not lie. <laughs> it doesn't lie. There's never been a mirror ever made that lied. If you said mirror, mirror on the wall, do I look good as you are or something like that, you would find that mirror would say, you ain't what you used to be. Look at you sideways. I hold it in. Don't hold it in. Look at yourself. You're not the man you once were. Or you're getting ready to comb your hair and you see a little loose skinny thing. What's that? Where'd that thing come from? Well, to tell you the truth, it's a natural part of aging. And the good thing about it is that when it comes to ministry, it means you've lived a long time, done a lot of things, and you have a lot to say that a lot of people who aren't there yet should know before they get there. And it would be better if a man had some wisdom through his learning and his relationship to God was able to impart that to people than for somebody who just read about somebody else's life in a book. When I first started all of this, I could tell the stories that other people told. I didn't have many of my own. Now, 40 years later, I can tell you what I have found to be true. Not everything I heard growing up was right. I've had to figure out a lot of things for myself. 
and a lot of things that I've held on to and wouldn't let go of are things I have learned and experienced and proven to be right. And that's what you need to know. So you share that. It's experience. And when you have been able to rightly apply a lot of knowledge in your life and gain a testimony that has God's approval in it, people ought to listen. Now, not to me. I'm just talking about whoever has wisdom. That's one of the things I believe that God doesn't take all the old people out of the church when they're 70. He leaves people in the church because they've been where a lot of people are going. They have a lot to say if young folks will listen to them. Remember, God left them here. If we didn't need to know what a lot of them tell us and showed us, they would have gone a long time ago. There's no reason to stay here. But we're here for reasons. We're here for reasons. I remember one time the ladies had that Titus 2 meeting in the back. Women that have raised children, raised families, been there, done that, lived with one man and went through the rigors and battles and the sicknesses and the difficulties, the financial problems, know how to shop and cook and all of that, and clean house, routines, gained a lot of experience. I remember a young lady telling me one time, I said, well, why don't you go back and gain from what those folks said? She said, they're just a bunch of old women back there telling stories. And I think, you don't even know what you're talking about. There's something of value to aging. You may feel the aches and pains Oh, sure, you can still do a deep knee bend. You can squat down and look at the labels on things. It takes a little longer to get back up. And while you're down there, you think, anything else I need to do while I'm down here before I, before I get back up? It's just life. But I think the Bible portrays older people as those who people should listen to. In fact, if you look in the book of Job, you all turn to the book of Job for me, please? Job chapter 32. See, concerning the older and your respect and honor of them. Verse 4. Now, Elihu had waited till Job had spoken because they were elder than he. He was a young man, a fourth man, and he didn't open his mouth. He let all these guys talk throughout the whole book of Job. Now he waited till Job had spoken because they were older than he. And when Elihu saw that there was no answer in the mouth of these three men, his wrath was kindled. And Elihu, the son of Barakel, the Buzite, answered and said, I am young and you are very old. Wherefore, I was afraid and did not show you my opinion. I said, days should speak and multitude of years should teach wisdom. Now, that's what I was just talking about a while ago. Years should teach wisdom. Listen to me, all of you. You should be far wiser when you're 50 than you were when you were 30. You should know better how this whole life works when you're 60 better than you did when you were 40. Your life should be an adventure with the Lord, whereby you have learned how to understand things, and God has shown you things, and your testimony is that you're intact. God leads you. He's carrying you along. You're blessed. You're a blessed man. Your family's blessed, and he's really taking care of you. Your life should have that testimony because young people need somebody in the church to look up to. They have confidence in and can read their lives by just looking at them and say, if you want to talk, there's a guy you ought to talk to. 
If I was having financial problem, I wouldn't go to somebody that's broke and ask him for help. Would you? If I wanted help with a lot of things on how to fix something or how to make something work, I wouldn't go to somebody that never fixes anything and say, what do you think I should do? I would do nothing. <laughs> I need a testimony. Young folks in the church, I don't want to run into walls the rest of my life. I don't want to make the mistakes that I hear about and I'm watching in all these different places around the country. I don't want to fall flat on my face. I need somebody that I can look at, I can talk to, ask questions, and have confidence in and know that your life is a testimony to what I want to believe myself. We owe that to each other. We owe that to each other. We don't need to keep putting obstacles in each other's way by watching one talk about how good God is and then fall flat on your face. We don't need that. I need people that know how to share their experience. Say, so, well, I'll tell you what, I know what you're probably going through. I've been there, but let me tell you what the Lord did. What if we had a church full of wise people that have rightly applied knowledge in their life and their testimony is that God has carried me along? Look at the results. Be not slothful, but followers of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. He's not just talking about preachers. He's talking about whoever. We need somebody. We need a lot of somebodies to look at and say, now there's one. Now you want to know somebody that's put it together? There's one. Here's another guy. Ask him why things work for him financially. Go ask him why. I sent somebody to somebody here once. Go ask him why he's doing well. I stopped the guy one day right outside my office here, and I said, tell me what your key to your success is. He said, me? And I said, yeah. I have watched you for a, a few years here, and you've done well. You've never been down. You're always happy looking. And he said, well, I work eight hours a day. I get up early, and I stay out until it's done. And I come home. And I thought, well, that's good. So I asked another person who didn't know I'd talk to him. See, I'm trying to learn something, so I'm going to these people that I think have a testimony. I didn't ask all of y'all, did it? I said to somebody, what do you think your success is attributed to? Almost, he said, eight hours a day, working, getting after it. Get out there and find it. It's out there. And I do, and I, God's blessed me, and other things go with this, but he said, it works. Because we need that in the church. See, as he said in verse 7, as I said, he said, days should speak. Shouldn't they? Days should speak, and multitude of years should teach wisdom. Amen. Did you hear that? This is what your Bible says. Multitude of years should teach wisdom. Verse 8, there is a spirit in man and the inspiration of the Almighty giveth him understanding. That's a wonderful verse of Scripture that only God can give that. And verse 9, great men are not always wise. Great men aren't. I mean, there's men outside of the church who have accomplished great things. Scientists and doctors and politicians and great generals in the war and looked up to people with books and movies about them. You say, great men are not always wise. Anybody who is not a Christian is not wise. Let me tell you why. A wise man knows that one day he's going to die. If both sides of his head are working at the same time, 
He knows that the aging process is carrying him along till he is more and more less of a man or a woman than he or she used to be. And that as they look around, they begin to notice that a lot of people their age have slowed down a lot and many of them are less capable than they used to be. If he's a wise man, he knows he's going to die. He's been to enough funerals to know that people go there when they quit. That you die. When you die, you go to a funeral. And you go to the funeral home, you hear the same old stuff. In my father's house, so many men to go to prepare a place for you and so forth. And he's sitting there looking at this casket. And he knows, somebody told him in a sermon, that it is appointed that a man wants to die. And after this, the judgment. And he knows that's an inescapable effect because everybody does die. The Bible is right about that. It is appointed that a man wants to die. He was hoping his oriental religion would let him come back from one thing to be something else, reincarnation. But it doesn't work like that. So if he's a wise man, he says this, I'm going to give my life to Jesus because when I die, if I know there's a hell to be shunned and a heaven to be gained, and I don't gain heaven, I'm a foolish man. Oh, I'm a rich foolish man. I'm a famous foolish man. I could dunk a ball, hit home runs. I could score touchdowns, beat people up. Man, I was the admiration of society, but I'm going to hell when I die because I have been around Jesus. I've heard the Jesus talk, but I never surrendered. And I know that our just and righteous God will judge me for who I am and what I've done. And he's right. I'm wrong. When I die, I perish. Now, he's a fool because he could be saved. And a man who foresees what is coming and he applies that knowledge in agreement with God, he's a wise man. He may not be rich and famous. We're not. But we'll be accredited with wisdom when we obey God and do what he says. Elihu said, you know, being a young man, I kept my mouth shut because I figured old people should know more than young people. But I'm finding out here, even though you're very old, Great men are not always wise. Neither do the aged understand judgment. You know, one of the sorriest things there is is to see old people without Christ. My mother used to ask me to go to the senior citizens. I'd be going to the senior citizens to preach. Well, you know, it takes me, to, what, 30 minutes to tell where I live? And I'm in there talking to these old folks. I mean, these are old people. They're old. So I start sharing about Jesus, and while I'm talking, after maybe five minutes, they start talking to each other. Huh? And I, said, oh. I did it twice, and my mom wanted me to come back a third time, and I said, I don't think so. Well, why? I said, <laughs> it's hard to explain. I just don't think that knock on that door, ain't nobody home. My words would go right out of my mouth and come right back. I could tell. It was just a thing that you know. There was nothing there. Nothing was going to happen there. But that's the way it is. But anyway, as we come to a close, when you get old, a lot of things in your body changes. Whether it's you got no heat or your taste or this. One of the most common things is eyes. How many of you believe that in the world, as what you see when you get older, you don't see as cleanly or as clearly as you used to. Now, a lot of people do. They seem to do pretty well, but not everybody. 
I want you to open your Bibles to Genesis for just a moment. Genesis chapter 27 and Genesis chapter 48. That's all the way back up front. 27 and verse 1. And it came to pass that when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called, you know, his eldest. Remember the story about Esau and Jacob. He got old. He said his eyes were dim. Now, there's two words in the Hebrew for dim. One means stand up. The word, the one word is used so common, it means stood. His eyes were fixed. His eyes stood, and he could not see. He was blind. Now, he was blind when he was young. It doesn't say that he ever had a disease or a sickness or anything happened. It just said that when he was old, his eyes were dim. Sometimes dim means you can't see clearly. Things are a little darker than they used to be. You don't focus like you once did. You can still see the pattern of things, but you can't see particulars. Your resolution is not good. You can't see the details. You can see, but you can't see well. Like in chapter 48 over here concerning Jacob, verse 10. Now the eyes of Israel were dim for age. You see that? He wasn't blind. It says he could not see, but he could not see as he did when he was young, younger. Now, he could probably see enough and hear the voices. I think you get real keen when people who they tell me that people who can't see have really keen hearing and, and their senses and all of that. The eyes of Israel were dim so that he could not see. And, you know, the rest of the story, Joseph's children came before him. It's an interesting story about putting a hand on the younger instead of the older and, and why he did that. But that's not for tonight. And also, in 1 Samuel chapter 3, you don't have to turn to that, it talks about Eli. And it says here these two words are used in 1 Samuel. In 1 Samuel chapter 3 and verse 2, it says that it came to pass that when Eli laid down in his palace and his eyes began to wax dim that he could not see. Now, it doesn't mean he was blind, but his eyes begin to wax dim so that he couldn't see like he once could see. Because it goes on to say concerning Eli in chapter 4 and verse 15, now Eli was 98 years old and his eyes were dim that he could not see. Now that word dim there means that he was blind. His eyes were fixed. Or that word they stood up. They didn't move anymore. Well, he was blind. They begin to wax dim, and they got dim. Now, I don't believe that has to be for us. The Bible describes this as happening to people in the Bible. It does not mean it's a pattern of the way it's going to be. I cannot deny myself. I cannot deny. I've always had good vision. All my years growing up, I always like to play those games who can read the sign the furthest away and read the license plate the furthest up the road or, or see things this close or see things that far away. I always like to do that because I could do that well. One day my brother said, I was 43 or 44. He said, can you still see good? He had some glasses. And I said, yeah. He said, well, you'll start having trouble pretty soon. And I didn't think so. Like he said, if I begin noticing driving home, and just not start thinking about it. Just started thinking about it. Well, I could tell you a story about that. When I was a young boy, 1954, gigging fish out in the scout camp. We told them they were suckers, but they were all the bass that we could find. We caught a cold that night, started coughing. That night, laying on the floor, reading the paper, one of the dangerous signs of cancer. 
but I didn't know any better than to read it. One of the signs was persistent coughing. And I started thinking, I've got cancer, I'm dying. I'm scared. I really was scared. I had a cope. <laughs> I coughed. I read that, and six years later, I had to have a lung operation. And I know a spirit. I know what it was behind is a spirit. I mean, I was victimized by fear. That's why I can talk to you folks about fear. It's a real thing. It's a devil. God did not give us a spirit of fear in 2 Timothy 1.7 because it is a spirit. And if you let the thing in, it brings with it all the details of what it wants to do. And people talk to you about stuff, you need to deal with that. You say, well, you folks are spooky. No, it's not that at all. There's a real devil, there's a real battle we got to face, and you really need to overcome. Amen. Well, let me close and say this. Would you turn to the Psalms again? Psalms 92 and verse 14. Psalms 92, I love this, and you will too. Even though you're old, even though you grow old, man or woman, you are still useful to God. Amen. You're not over the hill, out of the loop, and useless and in the way. God left older, old people in this world for a reason. It's because they have a function. Verse 14, they shall still bring forth fruit in old age. They shall be fat and flourishing. Uh, did I make that up? I don't say I rebuked that. No, no. <laughs> if you rebuke the second part, you've got to rebuke the first part. It's spiritual language. You should be fruitful. I mean, you're not going to just shrivel up and become nothing. I mean, you're being planted by the rivers of water. I don't care how old you are, you can still bear fruit because God said so. Well, Brother Hamilton, what about that Psalm 90 and verse 10 where it says the days of a man's life are 70 years? Isn't it true that man is assigned 70 years to live in this life? And I say not at all. Footnotes in like the Amplified Bible here, it was the complaint of Moses to God about when they went in to spy the promised land, they came back and they said, oh, the giants are there, we can't beat them. They gave an evil report and God said they had to march for 40 years in the wilderness. Moses' complaint was, he said, Lord, some of these people are dying at only 70 years old. I mean, 70 didn't apply to Moses, he was much older than they were. In fact, Caleb, when it was over, then they took the land, those 20 and over who became 40 and over. They went into the promised land through the Jordan, and they began to give the land to the various tribes and assigning parts of the land to the tribes of Israel. Caleb said he wanted where the giants were. He said, I am the same man now at 85 that I was at 40. Moses said when he was old, 120 advanced in days, he was as strong as he ever was, just like Caleb. His natural strength was not abated. So you see, you don't have to break down and fall apart and be flabby and poor and pitiful. You've got promises here that you can hold on to and that God will bless you and he will keep you. You read Deuteronomy 34, 7, or you read Joshua chapter 14 and verse 10, and it'll show you two things in there about old people that weren't like the other old people. 
Closing, let me say this. It is not a bad thing to grow old gracefully. It is not wrong to have an advanced wisdom about walking with God for 40 or 50 years and to have a treasure like that for 60 years in your church. It's good. It doesn't mean you wouldn't do better with a younger preacher. I would agree with that. But I'm just saying that even young people need somebody every now and then they can go to for help. What do you think? Wisdom should teach us something, shouldn't it? So, most of you are young. We got a young church here. So you don't have to dwell on this kind of a subject. Some of us are a little older. I'm still in my 60s, so that's no big deal to me either. But I do know that one day, that day will come. It will come. There'll be a day. There'll be a knock on your door, on your spiritual door. It'll be one sent from God to tell you that your day is up. I don't think you have to be surprised by it. I just think when you get older and your taste is not as good as it was and you can't run and do and all the things you used to do and you don't drive as much, you can say to God, you know, you've satisfied me, Lord. I have been so blessed down on this earth, but uh, sorry with you, I'm ready to go. And he sends the angel down and he says, whatever your new name in heaven is, I guess I'll just be called Tom until I get there. Say, the Lord sent me to take you home. Let's go. And everybody's squalling and bawling and you're up there rejoicing. Folks, there's nothing wrong with knowing who you believe and living it in such a way that God uses you as a vessel to impart whatever he's given you to other people. And the older you get, the sweeter it gets. The older the violin, the sweeter the music, somebody said. You believe that? Amen. Look at somebody and say, I'm glad you came and you're free to go. God bless all of you. Amen. Amen.